0: Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being in church today. Can you imagine at 16 writing that song? I was thinking about what I was doing at 16. It wasn't writing songs like that, I can guarantee you. And uh, amazing that uh, we get to taste that. It it does show, and I hope you understand, that um, uh, Christianity is not for just one generation, is it? Uh, they were actually writing great music in the 1800s to celebrate their faith. It doesn't sound like the music that we have today, and there's some great music being written today that expresses our faith as well. Um, I I think one of the beauties of the body of Christ is the ability to get along across generational boundaries. Let's not let us be siloed because of age here. uh, Let's support and encourage one another and uh, if you know a young person, they can help you with all your tech problems. It's really a really a bonus that you can have them around, and say, I, I don't understand. And they'll go, oh, you do this, this, and this. And you go, I still don't understand, but it works now, thank you. And I've been there a lot of times. I needed somebody yesterday, but that's neither here nor there. Um, before uh, we climb into the message, I need to uh, just take a care of a little family business. I hope you guys don't mind. Um, so a, a brief history. We uh, bought this campus in 2019, February 2019. For a couple of years, we were what was in church world called multi-site. We had uh, campus out on Wallen Road, and we had this one. But it was never our heart to be multi-site. We weren't trying to do that. And so our little tagline during those two years was one church, two locations. we did everything we could to have a similar experience at both sites we sang the same songs Um, if I was speaking I drove up and down Lima Road a couple times every Sunday I spoke three times on Sundays then eight o'clock at Wallen Road drove down here at nine drove back to Wallen Road it was just a bunch of fun is what it was and anybody who was speaking that was the journey some of the musicians and tech people back and forth down Lima Road uh, we were able to sell our property on Walland to Harvest Chapel out of our Harvest Fellowship out of Grable in Leo, and uh, we sold it on a uh, kind of a rent-to-own type of environment. They had five years to pay us off and so on, uh, and they've been very, very faithful. They paid us five years of rent in one year's time. That was pretty sweet. And uh, Thursday, I was sitting at my desk, and James, our director of operations, walks in and puts a piece of paper on my desk. Harvest deposited $1.5 million into our account on Thursday afternoon. How about that? So, a a big thanks to them. Their church is killing it. They're growing like gangbusters a whole aren't you grateful we're not in competition we're, we're grateful for them there's still a little bit of money left on the table and uh they sure give no indication other than they're gonna fulfill that sooner rather than later so the five-year thing has been shrunk down to a little over two but here's what i ask you if you would do this creates all kinds of decisions and would you just hold your elders up? We, we met Thursday morning. We didn't even know about it. And Thursday afternoon, it's in the bank account. And now we haven't even had a chance to have a meeting and start each other and go, well, what are we going to do with this? But it's a fun problem, but it's still, we want to do it right. And if you would just pray that our hearts would be good, that, you know how money goes? Money has a tendency to cause people to be weird. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. When it shows up, people get odd we don't want to be, we're already odd enough. We don't need another layer of, of oddness, but um, we're excited about that opportunity. I think it's going to free us up to go after our campus in ways that we've been praying about and hoping for. And uh, we'll, we'll keep you informed of that. I just wanted you to know it's pretty cool, right? And uh, so thanks to Harvest and thanks for your faithfulness and. Uh, I wished I could tell you what it all means. I don't know yet. Uh, All I've done is sit around and scribbled on pieces of paper what it could mean. And I'm usually wrong when I do that. So that's why there's a group of us. All right, we're in the book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you're not sure where it is and you have a chair Bible, it should be page 1001 unless you get one of those weird Bibles that went back to zero at the New Testament, and then I have no idea what page number that is. I'm going to have to figure that one out, but uh, regardless, um, in the sports world, there's often uh, debates about uh, the greatest. Um, Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the best this? Who's the best that? They call them the goat, Um, the greatest of all time, the goat. Um, So, in basketball, uh, it's frequently debated, is it Michael, or is it LeBron? How many Michaels are there in the room? Are there any LeBrons? I had one LeBron last hour, everyone else was Michael, and and all of us, oh, I got one, I got a LeBron? Perhaps. Perhaps? I love perhaps way to be decisive he's in charge of the 1.5 million he knows exactly what he's doing and I always watch LeBron and LeBron you know sometimes he's always on the floor like he got shot or something it's like you can't be the greatest if you're laying on the floor Michael would have danced on your forehead and then stuffed it over you you act like you're a soccer player or something right anyhow So, the debate goes on, and I'm sure there's a bar somewhere uh, where they're debating. Who's the greatest quarterback? Is it Brady or Montana? We could go on and on and on and on. And these are fun little conversations. And, you know, we always think our generation was better than the new one. That's better than the old one. Who knows? Um, But what's interesting in the book of Hebrews... Is that so wait, let, me, let me finish that thought so the, what you do is you compare greatness to greatness and say who's the greatest right so in the book of Hebrews that's what's happening with Christ you have the greatness of Jesus being compared with all the greatness of the Old Testament in coming to the conclusion are you ready and it, this is hard for me to say but I'm gonna say it, that Jesus is the goat he is the greatest of all times, and there's nothing close to that. I just summarized the whole book of Hebrews. I don't even know why we're gonna study from here. On. We got it all covered just in that one statement. Jesus is the goat. Let's go to chapter 11, and let me give you some thoughts about this, and we'll get back to our passage today. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Now, this is often called the hall of fame of faith. And it basically runs through the whole Old Testament and highlights these amazing people of faith. It starts in verse 4 with a fellow named Abel. Uh, Then it goes to Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Verse 23, Moses is highlighted. Uh, Verse 32, Two and following it gives a whole list of people and all that they went through because they had faith and how faith saw them through. And you get to verse 39 and 40, and it says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what is promised since God had provided them something better for us. That apart from us, that they should not be made perfect. What? So There's something better than the greatest people of the Old Testament. So chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I take that to be all the people of faith of chapter 12. We are surrounded by these amazing testimonies of belief and overcoming by faith. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Moses." Doesn't say that, does it? Chapter 12 immediately puts chapter 11 in perspective. The amazing people of faith become a cloud of witnesses that we should be looking to Jesus because he's the goat now that argument begins in hebrews chapter 1 which i take you back to and i'd like you to stand as we read the rest of chapter 1 and we're going to see jesus being compared to angels and is christ greater than angels or not ready verse 5 for to which of the angels did god ever say You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he'll be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, but of the son, he says, your throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions and you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those to inherit salvation. Let's pray. Father, we are confronted again by how superior your Son is to everything else. As we contemplate the majesty of the angelic host, let us not miss the greatness of your Son. I pray for us this morning, Lord, that we would clearly hear your voice, that doubts would be swept away with belief, and that we would then comprehend just how great your Son is. If you would unite us today, Father, both in hearing and speaking, so that we could see you, we would be so grateful may your great name be praised because of how awesome your son is today amen please be seated so often when i usually when i do someone asked me this week how do you do sermons and uh, normally i take a yellow pad out and my english bible and i just start reading in english i just start jotting ideas down writing down notes, observations, thoughts, things that I think are right that later I find out maybe aren't right, was this connected to this, so on, so on, so on, so on. How's it all fit together? One of the first things I wrote on my yellow pad this week is, why angels? Why would he compare Jesus to angels? It's a very interesting thing to compare him to. I mean we did finish uh, chapter 1 verse 4 that he was given a name superior to the angels and then he just picks up on that and just says here's why and here's how he's better than angels but before we dive into Jesus I want to take a look at angels with you and I want to talk to you about how awesome the angelic host is so if you go to Psalm chapter 8 which is on page 450 of your Bible Uh, let's read a little bit about what the Bible says about angels, and I'm just going to give you a brief overview of the angelic host, and then we're going to get back to why Jesus is better. So uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Can you sing the song? Okay, we won't. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you'd be mindful of him? Have you guys ever had that experience? Do you remember the first time you saw the ocean and you said, oh my goodness, what am I? Or have you ever been to the Rocky Mountains? You go, I, I'm nothing. Uh, or if you get to a place without light pollution, you can actually see the stars, and you go, wait a minute, God named all of these? How do I fit into That's what he's saying here. When I look at your heavens, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. I'm not going to finish the rest of the Psalm, which talks about man's job. My point here is this. Here is man that God has favored of all his creation. And you'll notice that the Bible says they, we are lower than the angels. So the angels have a position of greater uh, a position than we possess. And yet in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater than the angels, which is greater than humanity. What does that tell you about Jesus? Jesus is greater than all humanity, right? Can you do the logical inference there? If A equals, you got that? I I just gave you everything I know about logic. Don't don't hold me to that, I'm just sharing it with you. Now, I wanna go over how angels are superior to man with you, okay? So I'm gonna give you, what, three things, and there could be 10. Uh, This is a, a survey, it's not a deep dive of an angelic uh position so first how are angels superior to man by their position um here's what we know about angels and i'm just going to spot a few passages we won't look them all up first they are created beings according to colossians chapter 1 verse 16 christ made them when he made us second they cannot die isn't that interesting Uh, Luke chapter 20 verse 36 angels don't die third uh, being created and being without death they have the exact same number of angels today as there was the day they were created they don't procreate either So they're not given in marriage. There aren't any new angels. They were all made at one time by Christ. And if you go to Revelation chapter 5, because you guys all love to turn to Revelation, so I let you taste it. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I looked, I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and and thousands and thousands and thousands Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 says, they are innumerable angels around us. Pause. Let's think about that for just a second. We need to understand, you guys, there is a spiritual, angelic reality today. Today. The same number. From, it's still here today. They're warming up their voices for Revelation 5, right? I, I'm sure they'll sing the four hymns that we had today written. I don't know what they'll do. Um, these same angels, according to Psalm 89 verses 5 to 7, are called holy ones. So they have a character to them that surpasses us. Let me put it on display for you. Isaiah chapter 6, page 571. Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it's the year that King Uzziah died. It was a very important year for Uzziah right? (laughs) Might not have meant much to you and I, but it's kind of a big deal to Uzziah. It's his last one. Anyhow, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. They had six wings. He covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew around. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips." and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. So the angels are in the presence of the living God. What do they say when they're in his presence? Class, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. What does man say when he's in the presence of God? Uh-oh. <laughs> right? There is some sense where these holy servants of the living God have a greater position than us. They are in His presence, and they are not in His presence in a fearful way. We often say, "I I just want to see God. I don't think you do. If He showed up this morning, took my place, which would be awesome, you would all be under your chairs. You would want to run out the door. You do not want to be in his presence because, what? Woe is me. I am undone. I am exposed for the unclean human being that I am. But his angels are holy ones. See, they have a superior position second they have superior power i'm not going to go into this in great depth but let me give you three passages we won't look them up but i'll talk about them second kings chapter 19 verse 35 guess what happens there one angel one wiped out 185,000 assyrian troops one He was a Navy SEAL angel is what he was. And he took it to him, put a beat down on him. He put whole Jason Bourne on him. He, he went off on him and took care of business. And 180, he pr- was protecting the people of God. And he fought for the people of God as he was commanded by God. And he took out 185K all by himself, 2 Kings 19.35. Second, two passages in the book of Acts, chapter five, chapter 12. Our buddy Peter got arrested. He gets thrown in jail. Guess what happens to him when he's in jail? An angel shows up and says, come on, Pete, time to go. In chapter 5. He grabs Peter and says, we're going. Peter goes, oh my goodness, I thought I saw a vision. I guess this is real. Takes him outside. The door's open. The, the, the guys all fall aside. And he's out. Chapter 12, Peter gets arrested again. What's up with Peter getting arrested all the time? We should ask these questions. Anyhow, he's arrested again. He's thrown in jail. Angel shows up. The people are praying. Hey, Lord, it could be great if we could see Peter again. You remember the story? And, and Peter comes out of jail, goes and knocks on the door where everybody's praying for him. And the little girl goes, hey, Peter's at the door. And they said, stop bothering us. We're praying for Peter they said it's his angel that's what they said in Acts chapter 12 I don't know how to break Peter out of jail and get past all the Roman guards but the angel did and it was a nothing burger just took him right out of there Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 our Lord buried in the tomb giant rock rolled over the door sealed for the Romans, guarded by the Roman soldiers, and the angel shows up, it says, with an earthquake and flicks the stone away. I don't know, they breathed it away, he moved it away, and then he took a seat on top of it and waited for the girls to show up. What no men could do, angelic hosts, have the power to perform. It's amazing. Remember, they're still around. Third, the purpose of angels... Um, We are told in verse 14 of chapter 1 that they are ministering spirits. They are sent to serve um, and do the bidding of God. A couple of examples. When Jesus came to this earth, he was surrounded by angels who attended to his needs as he was being born. Remember, angel showed up, said something to the shepherds. Y'all ought to go see what's going on over there in Bethlehem. Well, we're kind of busy here watching our sheet. You're going to go. And so they went. And then they said, oh, something's happening in Bethlehem. And then Herod caught wind of it. Remember, he's going to kill all the the babies, male babies under two. And an angel came to Joe and Mary and said, time to go to Egypt. That's in, uh, let me get my, uh, Luke. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Angel shows up, directs mom and dad. Okay, now you can go home. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Jesus goes through the temptation. When the temptation is over, the angels came and ministered to him. Chapter 4, verse 11. Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. He's getting ready for the cross. Do you remember the intensity of the prayers? His sweat was like drops of blood. The angels came and supported him. At the resurrection, the angels came and were with him. Acts chapter 1, verse 10. At the ascension, everybody's looking up, and guess who joins them? The angels are there with him, going, What are y'all looking up at? Time to get to work. And when our Lord returns, Matthew 25, verse 31, he will return with those myriads and myriads and the thousands and thousands of angels. This Jesus and angel people kind of working together, right? But that's not all. They minister to us as well. I'm going to give you three ways. Psalm 91, uh, page 497. Verse 9, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, The Most High who is my refuge. I hope that's you today. I hope you have made the Lord your dwelling place. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your behalf, dear friends, the angelic, almighty, pure, holy host of heaven watches over you. Not bad, right? Now, uh, Daniel chapter 9, page 747. And this would fit uh, also uh, Acts chapter 12, that prayer story I talked about as well. Uh, where they were praying for Peter to get out of jail. But in Acts, or Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people, Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God on the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision, at first came to me in swift light at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh Daniel, I've now come. Uh, out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. At the beginning of your pleas of mercy, I started. You guys, God sends his holy angels to attend to your prayers. What do you think about that idea? In Acts chapter 12, they're praying for Peter to be released. Guess what the answer to their prayer was? The angel went and released him. Then we have the funny story of the girl, which we already went over. Is it possible that in your prayer life, without you ever even knowing it, because angels are almost always invisible, God has joined your prayers with his holy ministers? Hmm? One more, um, Luke chapter 16, page 876, Luke 16. This is a pretty famous story, rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, verse 19, was clothed in purple, fine linen, feasted sumptuously every day. He's probably an American. At his gate was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. I don't know if this is enough proof, but can I make a guess? At the moment you breathe your last, God sends his holy ones to carry you to him. What do you think about that idea? That's pretty cool. We just were singing, I'll love thee in life and I'll love thee in death and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, Hello, angel. That's not exactly how the song goes. Think about that, you guys. These angels are amazing. Now, we're going to get back to Jesus in just a second, but I want to give you a warning because it's very, very important for you to understand the spirit world around you. And I want you to go to Galatians chapter 1, which is on page 972. And behind this warning is nothing more than my desire as your pastor to help you navigate life. And part of that life is dealing with the spirit world in which we exist, okay? And because angels are so fascinating, I think we suffer from the desire to always see the miraculous and the supernatural. And it's not a healthy thing To lust after the sensational and to lust after the individual I'll get more about that in just a second because in the spirit world you could introduce yourself to falsehood from angelic speech here it is Galatians 1 8 If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It is possible, uh, Paul says, for an angel from heaven to somehow mislead you with a different gospel. Beware. Not every spirit voice is one that should be listened to because it's supernatural. John said, "You should test the spirits that are speaking to you." Uh, go to the left, Second Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 14. Verse 13, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles, and no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Um, One last one. Chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, verse 7 to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of, revelation, of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. There are three instances I just highlighted for you of the angelic host doing evil things. I, I have not gone into the whole demonology thing, that's for another day, maybe we'll do a steps class or something on angelology someday. Point being said, if you find yourself in your spiritual life thinking that the miraculous, the supernatural, the phenomenal ought to happen every moment of every day, you open yourself up to great deception. You open yourself up to being duped. I would tell you, and I mean this with with no malice in my heart, that one of the greatest problems of the charismatic movement was to take the supernatural and and call it as common as the everyday sparrow, and then to package the supernatural as an individual experience. By doing both of those things, they opened people up to demonic deceptions at a very high level. Let's be very honest. Most of our Christian life is pretty mundane and ordinary. There are occasions where we go, I'm on the mountaintop. Most of the time, we're slugging it out in the sloth, aren't we? It's hard. And so when someone steps up to you and says, well, if I introduce you to the supernatural and you can have it for yourself, this is going to be the great," You're like, I want that. And I'm just begging you, be careful. You're going to end up in Johannesburg drinking great Kool-Aid. You're going to buy some new Nike sneakers waiting for the Comet to go by. And the young people are going, what are you talking about? And you guys know what I'm talking about. The FBI is going to knock on your door in Waco. You're going to lose your life. I feel constrained to warn you about that because I see it in people's spiritual lives all the time. They prove they're spiritual by their supernatural encounters. I'll give you a story. You guys need a little mental break i'm coming at you pretty good here you ready so a new couple comes to our church they're brand new i don't know them they don't know me they make an appointment we'd like to introduce ourselves swell this happens all the time i meet with them they walk in they're holding hands they seem to genuinely love i don't know anything about them they come in they sit down they continue to hold hands always a good sign uh we usually arrange the furniture to find out how bad the marital strife is by putting a love seat there are you going to sit in the love seat, or are you going to sit across the room in the separate? Okay, now we know. Here we go. Anyhow, they're sitting on the love seat. They're holding hands. They're talking, and they're a little older. They've been around. They've gone through failed marriages and found each other later. And here was their story. We met on eMingle, Christian Harmony. And I did those backwards on purpose just to have fun with you. They, 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 they were online dating is what they were doing. They discovered each other, thought they liked each other. And if you've ever met anybody who's actually survived and made it through online dating, there comes the day where you meet, where it goes from theory to reality. It goes from online to, okay, okay. You have way less hair than I thought you did. How old is that photograph of you? Anyhow, oh, it's, uh, it was my uh, college graduation picture. Thanks for noticing. I know I'm 63, but boy, did I look good at 20. I was going to show. Anyhow, so they meet each other, and it's the day of the meet, and the, and the bride, the, the, the wife is walking in the restaurant, and the Lord spoke to her. This is her words, not mine and said, this is the man you will marry. Go sit down, have a piece of pie, do their thing. They get married. They're still holding hands. And a year later, the same lady comes to me and says, the Lord told me to divorce him. <laughs> and I, I want to be as gentle and as kind as like you need to stop listening to these make-believe voices. He didn't tell you to marry him to begin with, and he sure isn't telling you to divorce him. He isn't going to tell you to do something contrary to what he's revealed to be true and pure and right, is he? But people want to have this supernatural experience God spoke to me. I have a special message from the Lord. This is better. Remember last Sunday, the, long ago and many times, in many ways, our fa- God spoke to our fathers, but in these last days, how did He speak to us, you guys? Through His Son. And then He displayed why hearing from the Son was way better than all those things, and if you don't mind me saying so, that includes angelic manifestations. Okay, let's actually teach the text now, since I've got a few minutes left. <laughs> Back to Hebrews 1. I feel better. I am, I am unfettered and unloaded. And some of you are going, I don't know what all that means. I've, he spoke to me this morning and told me to come to this church. I, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, anyhow, go ahead. It's all right. What we have here are a chain of Old Testament passages. So verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, and then he quotes Psalm 2, you're my son today, I've begotten you, or again, and then he quotes 2 uh, Samuel, or, 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 or again, and he quotes, and he quotes. So before we dive in, let's note this, as the Bible is put together and the New Testament is being formed, it rests on its understanding of the inspiration of the Old Testament. The argument for Christ being superior is based on Old Testament scriptures that we would hold to be authoritative and true. If you want to dismiss the Old Testament, you're going to miss Jesus. You're going to think you're not, but you really are. So let's first say that. now. Here's, here's the, 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 the play. The son is superior to angels in relationship. Which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? If you go back to verse 4, he's become much superior to the name uh, to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The name he's inherited is son. That is superior to verse 14, which is minister. Son says relationship. Chapter 2, or excuse me, Psalm 2, 7 here, is is connected to verse 5. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. I've never said that to another angel. I've never said that to another human being ever. The son is unique and different. He was not created. He was begotten. As such, it unpacks verse 2 that we looked at last week. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. You don't give your inheritance to your minister. You give it to your children. And so, Son is a superior place to be then minister. Angels are created beings whose status with God's are to be His subjects. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father who is to be His Son. Hmm? Second, the Son is superior in essence, verses 7 to 12. In verse 7 of the angels, here's what He says. He makes His angels' winds, His ministers' flame of the fire. But... Of the sun. See, it's a contrast. Here's what he says about angels, but here's what he says about the sun. The comparison of verses 7 and 8 follows all the way through to verse 12, but it also unpacks the reality of verse 3 that we looked at last week. That is, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power that is now being flushed out in comparison to the angels. This is a very important text for you to understand. So let's slow down a minute and read it. But of the Son, he says, that is, God says, wait a minute, God says to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Did you hear what it just said, you guys? You have God, calling the Son God. That's a powerful testimony. When the Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door claiming Jesus is not that, you can go, have you seen Hebrews 1.8? Did you know that their God calls Jesus God? They will then go to your next door neighbor's house. So here is God witnessing to the divinity of the Son. This is an amazing statement. And He says three things about Him. The scepter of your righteous will will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So His throne is forever, excuse me, verse 8. Righteousness is unquestioned in Him, and His joy is continuous, the last half of verse 9. These three things define what God says about the Son and how He behaves on this earth. Now listen, a lot of people have claimed to be divine. I'm going to give you three times where Jesus did on this earth. We're going to go uh, chronological, not in biblical order. So John chapter 5, which is page 890. John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is breaking all the rules by healing on the Sabbath. This irritates the religious people who then confront him and say, you're not allowed to do that. Um, Christ stands up to them and says, uh, I think I'm okay. And, and so um, verse 16 says, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my father's working until now, now I'm working. Now watch verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews of the day understood exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, God is my Father, and I do the work of the Father, and I and the Father are one, and they didn't like it. They were so offended, they want him dead. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. So you just go to the left if you're in John, go through Luke, catch Mark. 14 conveniently in front of 15. Verse 60 says, and the high priest, this is now, Jesus has been arrested. The high priest stood up in the midst asking Jesus, how do you answer? What do you make? And these men testify against you, and he remained silent. He made no answer. The high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest, a theological scholar, hears the words of Christ and does this. He tears his garments and says, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is his decision? They all condemned him to a deserving death some began to spit on him. They covered his face and they beat him. And then they said, prophesy, who hit you? And the guards received him with many, many blows. Jesus's claim of being God caused the religious leaders to say, how dare you say that? Nobody says that and comes out alive. And they begin to pummel his face. Third one, uh, Luke chapter 22. So back toward the back of the Bible, you're in Mark, Luke chapter 22. This is later on uh, in the same trial period, Jesus was arrested, that was this first beating. And now we come to Luke chapter 22, verse 66. When the day came, so all night long they've been interrogating and beating him, and now the day comes, and the assembly of the elders of the people gather together. The chief priests, the scribes, they lead him away to their council, and they said, "If you're the Christ, tell us." He he said to them, "If I tell you, you won't believe." If I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said, you say that I am. Then they say, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. He is worthy of death. Now listen, you guys, there's been all kinds of messiahs come and go. They all give self-proclamation that they are the one. So Jesus testifying that he's the Messiah, that doesn't prove anything other than he believed that he was. But you get to Hebrews 1, and God agrees with him. This is a big deal. We should hold this and cherish this understanding, and belief in Christ. Because if we are right as Christians about who Jesus is, then we have discovered the way, the truth, and the life. If we missed it, we're deceived. We followed a lunatic. We followed a madman, right? But that's not what God said. By the way, Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. So if God calls the Son God, I think we ought to roll with him. What do you guys think? The second witness is the witness of creation. So in verse 10, following again, it through whom he created the world, in verse 2, he laid the foundation. Jesus, creator, laid the foundation of the earth uh, in the beginning. He made the heavens. They, they perish, but he remains. They are amazing, and they're going to fall away. Could he do it through global warming? Just thought I'd ask. He didn't seem too impressed with the question, to be honest with you. You're like, stop. I beg you, don't bring that stuff up on Sunday morning. We don't want to talk about that. I don't know. He could do it, I suppose. It's not going to be by a flood. I know that. I think it will be by fire, though, if I remember what Peter said about it. Regardless, the Bible is portraying Jesus as the Lord of creation, who made the heavens, who laid the foundations, who will decide when it's all over, and He'll roll it up and say, you've done your job. But He will have no end. He is eternal in every way, the Bible says. You are the same, and your years will have no end. The son is superior to angels in his essence. Number three, he is superior to angels in his position. That is... um, To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? You remember the angels in Isaiah? They stood next to him. They did not sit next to him. They served him. When he said, fly, they flew. They carried the, the coal over and put it on Isaiah's lips. That's what the angel they did whatever the father told. The son sits next to the father. Again, back to verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his teacher. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification from sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. I don't know if you're a dog or cat person, the old statement is what? Dogs drool, cats rule. Could we say angels drool? The sun rules. Seems a little crass. I don't know if angels really drool or not. But here's what we could say. Kent Hughes said it really well. He said, he rules, they serve. He's in a better place because he holds a different and higher position. You guys, there is Jesus. There you have it. He is greater than angels, angels are greater than humanity, Jesus is the goat. He is the greatest man of all time. And there's not really a close second. Now, the Bible doesn't give you all this information in some haphazard, oh, wasn't it fun to be intellectually stimulated today? Nah-uh. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is putting his readers on the horns of a dilemma. And the horns of the dilemma is this. What do I do with the Son? Can I neglect this truth? Actually, we'll see it again next week. Chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the Bible puts forth Christ as greater than angels for a singular purpose, for you to understand that when He made purification for your sins, chapter 1, verse 3, when He made that purification for your sins and sat down next to the Father, He brings eternal hope to you. You cannot ignore the Son. You can reject Him, but you cannot ignore Him. Peter said in Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We cannot ignore Christ. And so I ask you today, where is your allegiance To the Son of God and God the Son. Have you understood that He is the greatest of all time, and He deserves absolute allegiance from you to Him as you trust Him to wash your sins away? And once you've had your sins washed away, you go, oh my goodness, my Lord and my God, And so I want us right now, and I want to ask you to bow your heads and do business with Jesus' Father who brought the Son to purify you from your sins. And if you have never submitted yourself to the Son, how about today? How about right now? Are you convinced enough to not neglect the salvation of God before you? I ask you that. And you need to ask yourself that. So let's bow. And you get along with the Lord in your own thoughts. And you ask Him to forgive you for your sins. And you thank Him for sending His Son to purify you from all evil things. And you line up and say, "Lord, I will follow where You will lead me." If you just keep your head bowed a little bit, I'm going to ask you if anybody in the room prayed that prayer. If you would just raise your hand right now, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. This is the moment of your salvation. This is the recognition of the greatness of the Son of God for you. Anybody else? I just want to pray for you. I'm not asking you for money or anything. Not even asking you to sign up for anything. I just want to ask God to help you. Father, thank you for those who have raised their hands this morning. I pray for them because I know the evil one will come and he will attempt to snatch your words out of their souls. He will will sow confusion where you have brought clarity and he will create doubt where you have brought certainty and I pray for them today, Lord, that you would protect them, that as they have humbled themselves to believe in you and that they would have salvation and the purification of sins that they would know the greatness of your hand from this day forward. For you indeed are an amazing heavenly Father and we thank you for your righteous, holy, divine Son. Thanks for sending him to die for us. We are grateful. Please protect those who again, Lord, acknowledge their desire to be yours. Thanks for hearing our prayers. Amen. If by chance, and you can ponder this, the step into a relationship with Christ is a step into a family and a friendship. And um, if we can be your church family, we'd be delighted to. Uh, We would pray for you, support you, encourage you, help you grow in that. You can fill a little card out in the back of the chair, throw it in the box in the back. We'll have someone contact you and help you in that journey. Um, We would be delighted to do that. Uh, When this service is over, we'll have some folks up front that could uh, pray with you and encourage you. I'm going to need you to help me there, Lynn, Dean. Um, And if anybody wants to come and be prayed with, we'll be happy to do that after we sing this song. Aren't you glad you're in church today? The Lord's good, man. We're fools. He's amazing. So thanks for being in church today. Hopefully you've been encouraged, got to sing some great songs and uh, be confronted with the sun. Listen, if we Christians are right, okay? If you dismiss us, okay. But if we're right, here's what the Bible says. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If we're right, you need the Son. Don't miss Him. He's awesome. You're dismissed. Thanks for being here.